Welcome to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Greenwood, Mississippi. We are a community of Christians that exists to make disciples of Jesus Christ and influence the Delta for the glory of God. More information about Westminster can be found at www.wpcgreenwood.org. If you would turn to Luke chapter 20, we're going to be in verses 19 through 26. Luke chapter 20, verses 19 through 26. And Jesus, he's at the, the tail end of his ministry. You know, some commentators believe that this encounter that we're going to read uh, of today, that it happened on Wednesday, the Wednesday of the week of the crucifixion. <clears throat> and the heat's been turned up, as we'll see. We have an array of leaders. They're trying to tie Jesus up with some questions. They're asking him questions, uh, and, and this one that we're going to look at, it's meant to expose Jesus as a zealot who's trying to overthrow the, the, the Roman rule, or to, to expose him as someone who's turned his back on the Jews and is siding with Rome. And in pure Jesus fashion, he, he, he responds with a question and some statements that expose the hearts of the men that we're asking and even reach into our hearts today. So let's look at the text, Luke chapter 20, verses 19 through 26. This is God's Word. The scribes and the chief priests sought to lay hands on him at that very hour, for they perceived that he had told this parable against them, but they feared the people. So they watched him and sent spies who pretended to be sincere that they might catch him in something that he said so as to deliver him up to the authority and jurisdiction of the governor. So they asked him, Teacher, we know that you speak and teach rightly and show no partiality, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful for us to give tribute to Caesar or not? But he perceived their craftiness. And he said to them, Show me a denarius. Whose likeness and inscription does it have? They said, Caesar's. He said to them, Then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they were not able in the presence of the people to catch him in what he said. But marveling at his answer, they became silent. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that we are free and able to come worship you this morning. That you've called us to worship by your word, through your spirit. And we ask you, Lord, to bless the preaching of your word this morning. That you would make it effectual in the hearts of those who do not yet believe. And that you would make it effectual for believers. That you would conform us into the image of Jesus that we would see his glory and lay down our lives for him. And we ask these things in his name. Amen. So as I was reading through this, I was thinking, you know, we've all been hit with a question that seemed more like a setup, right? I've I've talked about this before. Um, Typically, little children have the best theological questions when it's time to go to sleep. You know, it's bedtime. And I... I, you know, I answer them because I'm hoping that they're sincere, um, and that, that's, a, that, that, that's a minor thing, but oftentimes, you know, we, we can be hit with a question that's much more sinister, 
something that's trying to expose us. Um, I'm thinking of uh, this, this viral clip that's been going around with this conservative Canadian leader, uh, Pierre uh, Polyev. He, he was being interviewed by a journalist, and he's just casually sitting there chomping on an apple, uh, listening to the questions, but then asking questions in response. And so we see this lesson in how to disarm leading questions with questions. But today, we're going to see the quintessential interviewee, Jesus, we're going to see him giving us a master class today, not just in how to handle hypocrites and hypocritical questions, loaded questions, but how to live our lives as citizens of two kingdoms. <clears throat> so let's first, let's look at the questioners, the ones asking the questions in verses 19 through 20. <clears throat> we see it, in Luke's account, it says the scribes and the chief priest were asking him this question. Or in Matthew's gospel, if you go read it there, He says the Pharisees and the Herodians. And they went and they plotted how to entangle Jesus in his words. So I want to stop there for a minute and just think about these people who were asking the questions. The Pharisees and the Herodians, the the scribes and the chief priests. You know, it's interesting that these two factions would come together. Herodians were, were, were followers of the Jewish political leader Herod Antipas. You know, so they had ties with Rome. And then the Pharisees, on the other hand, they were devoted to the, you know, the scrupulous adherence to the law of Moses. They hated the Roman regime. So what, what unites these two opposites, these two enemies, or normal enemies? The same thing that unites any garden variety sinner to another. They hate the light and they love darkness. They are united in their hatred for Jesus. They hate him. They're united in their hatred, and they're united in their hardness of heart. Notice why they wanted to lay hands on him. It says because they, had, they perceived that he told the parable of the wicked tenants about them. And good on you, boy. You figured it out. That you, you perceived correctly. He did tell it about you. Right? That's what Richard preached from last week. And instead, think of this. Think of how hard your heart has to be to to hear that parable, to know it's about you, and instead of doing some humble soul-searching, they carried out the very act that Jesus said they would in the parable. They weren't concerned about their heart and whether this really was the Messiah. So they sent spies to him. And they pretended to be sincere and said to him, Teacher, we know that you speak and teach rightly and show no partiality, but truly teach the way of God. And so these men, they come to Jesus in pretense and flattery. And they ask the big question, Is it lawful for us to give tribute to Caesar or not? And it says Jesus perceived their craftiness. In Matthew's account, he calls them hypocrites. And he says, you hypocrites, why do you put me to the test? These Pharisees, these Herodians, the scribes, and the chief priests, they were pretenders. They talked a big game, but they weren't even on the 40-man roster. They hated Jesus. And they tried to destroy him with a question. And so I think what we need to be reminded of here is that God hates pretense and flattery. Psalm 5 says of the wicked, 
There is nothing reliable in what they say. Their inward part is destruction itself. Their throat is an open grave and they flatter with their tongues. And so if you're in here this morning pretending, pretending to be a follower of Christ, my charge to you today, and it's from the Lord, is to repent and believe the gospel. To rest in Jesus Christ for your own salvation. To turn away from lies and hypocrisy. Admit your sinfulness and your need and believe in the Lord Jesus. To believers in here, I want to remind you that though at times, and shame on us, though at times we can act hypocritically, you are not at your core, you're not a hypocrite. If you were a believer in Jesus, you have admitted your sinfulness. You're being honest and saying, I'm a sinner and I'm in need of a Savior. So stop telling yourself and others that you're just a hypocrite. Not if you're a believer in Christ. Like I said, we may live in ways and we do live in ways that are not worthy of the gospel. And may we walk in patterns, uh, or sometimes we walk in patterns of hypocritical living and we are in need of daily repentance, turning from that. But believer, you were called a beloved child of God, a saint, because of what Christ has done. So let's continue on. They're, they're, they're uh, pretending, they're, they're uh, flatterers, and they've asked him the question. So what does Jesus have to say? Let's look at the response. Jesus asked them to pull out a denarius. This was a day's wage in, in, uh, in that day in Palestine. And when they pulled it out, he asked them to inspect it and tell him whose image is on the coin. And so this coin, is, and, and they, when he asked them that, he says, oh, it's, it's Caesar's. They say it's Caesar's. And on this coin, we would have seen uh, a, a picture of Tiberius Caesar. And it would have had the inscription on it that said, the son of the divine. The son of the divine Augustus. And on the opposite side of the coin was an image of Caesar's mother with the inscription, the high priest. And there are so many things that are wrong with this, this image, right? These images and these inscriptions. And just think of this here. Jesus, the true son of the divine, the true high priest, knows what's on that coin, and he tells them to pull it out and tell them what it has on it. And he doesn't say, burn it. He doesn't say, throw it in the water. Think of the patience and the humility of Jesus in that moment. A mocking of him on this coinage. Blasphemy. But Jesus, he wanted to teach them a lesson about life in the already and the not yet. Life in what some have called the two kingdoms. Uh, David Vandrunen, he calls these the common kingdom and the redemptive kingdom. And so first... In Jesus' response, we see what, what life in the common kingdom looks like. Jesus says, pay what you owe to whom you owe it. Pay taxes to whom they're due. And we've got to think about the crowd at this time, even Jesus' disciples. The zealots, if they had heard something like this, this would go against their very core, their very lifestyle, because they would often incite violence against Rome. So it's going against them. It's going against the Pharisees who wanted to focus so much on the, uh, the, the interpretation of the Mosaic Law and the Scriptures to the exclusion of their civic duties. 
And so we need to be reminded of this. We don't overthrow, we're not called to overthrow the system. And we're not called to withdraw into a cloister, into a monastery. We see the same principle in Romans 13, what Trey read this morning, where Paul says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. And so we see that God instituted this common kingdom and the government that is supposed to uphold justice, bearing the sword to protect the weak and to punish the evildoer. But the government is limited in its authority, as we see in Jesus' second statement. So whose image is on the coin? Caesar. Render to Caesar what is Caesar's. And then think about, the, I want you to really think about this statement. Then Jesus says, and render to God what is God's. You know, you think about that for a moment. That statement doesn't often hit me like it should. What belongs to God? Or we could ask, whose image is on you? Right? Whose image is on the coin? Caesar. Whose image is on you? And me, we're created, male and female, after his own image, in knowledge, righteousness, and holiness with dominion over the creatures. Those men, including Caesar, owe their very lives to God. We owe our very lives, everything in our life, to the Lord. And Jesus' statements, they're not at odds with each other. They're actually putting our civic duty under the umbrella of obedience to the Lord. Listen to Peter's words in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 and 7, through 17. Peter said, be subject, be, subject to the Lord's, uh, or be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme or to the governors as sent by him, to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Pay honor to whom it's due. Honor the emperor. Peter doesn't say, tear it all down. Peter doesn't say, let's go Nero. Peter doesn't talk trash about the orange guy. You know what he does? He says, honor the emperor. Do you know who the emperor was in Peter's day? Nero. An egotistical, maniacal man that would eventually have Peter crucified upside down. And so, I know this, this is difficult stuff, we, and, and there's a lot of implications for these things that we can't even get into today, but we at least need to hear God's word here. And so I think for us, this ought to, at the very least, change how we speak of those in office. It doesn't mean that we have to agree with them on everything, but we ought not take to Facebook and Twitter getting our political meme game on. I've, I'm guilty. But this passage, this passage speaks of something different 
speaks of a different path. And as I was thinking through this, a, a quote, a John Piper quote that really hurt my feelings came. John Piper has a good way of hurting people's feelings. He said this. He said, one of the great uses of Twitter and Facebook will be to prove at the last day that prayerlessness was not from a lack of time. And so what are we to do as Christians, as dual citizens of the common kingdom and the redemptive kingdom? Because if you were in Christ, you were a part of the kingdom of God in the redemptive kingdom. And so taking a line from David Van Drunen in his book, Living in God's Two Kingdoms, here's some things that we can do as Christians, as dual citizens. One, we need to remember what we've been talking about here. Remember that civil authority is from God and that the magistrates or leaders are primarily responsible for keeping order, enforcing justice in, our, in, our, in, in the affairs of the world. The government is to approve those who do good and punish those who do evil. And this type of government should promote the welfare of man and help us to lead peaceful and quiet lives in this age. Now, I'm sure some of you are sitting here hearing this and you're going, man, that sounds great. Does this happen? A lot of the times, no. It doesn't happen. Not on this side of the fall, but we take a play from Peter's playbook and we render to Caesar what is his, no matter how wicked he may be. The Scriptures tell us that we're to live in submission to the authorities, render them proper honor, pay taxes, and pray for them. As it was shared this morning in our pastoral prayer, Paul told Timothy to pray for those in leadership. And so next time you're thinking of posting something uh, political on Facebook or Twitter, it would probably be a better use of your time to go and pray. A better use of my time to pray. And then we can get out, we can vote with our informed conscience we can run for office as Christians. Now, we're not going to get up here and have a political rally in the church. We're here to preach the word and, and administer the sacraments. But as Christians, as you go out, you are free. Free to, free to vote and free to run. <clears throat> but we need to remember... Oh, one more thing. Uh, we, we go out, we pray, we, we vote, we can run for office. But we don't villainize those who vote differently than us. We're not to, to villainize them. We're to honor them, to love them. We can disagree, but we don't villainize. <clears throat> we need to remember this. The state's authority and power is limited. And there's actually a place in the Scriptures for civil disobedience. If you've studied church history at all, you know that there was always this uh, mixing and melding of church and state throughout the, the history. The state has no right to come in and appoint a pastor or a leader in the church. The state does not come in and tell us what doctrines are proper and right and what we're to believe. The state has no right to execute heretics. If the state comes in and says, stop preaching the gospel specifically or the Bible in general, we say no. We continue to preach the word. We obey God over man. The state cannot come in and tell us how and when and where and why we can worship. 
God has commanded that we gather together and that we worship him. This is why we're created, to worship him. And so this is how we'll close. We've seen some of our duties regarding the common kingdom. But now we're going to focus on the redemptive kingdom. What are we to do as those who owe everything to God? And like I said, we're not, we, we could talk about this for the rest of the year, but I'm just going to focus in on us as the church gathered. You know, we often treat the church, myself included, as a huddle during a football game, right? A place where we huddle up and encourage one another before we go out into the big game that is life. But the reality is what we are doing right now is not some pep rally, not some means to an end, not something that's centered upon us. We don't primarily come here to benefit ourselves, though there is great benefit for us. We come here to worship the living God, to offer up our sacrifice of praise, to serve one another with our gifts that that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ when he returns. This, what we're doing here, is central to our lives. It's not something that we tack on at the end of the week. This is central to our lives. We start out with worship because we have been set free and we go out into the week as those who have been freed. We join with the heavenly host in singing praise to the King Jesus. And we're going to be doing this for all eternity. This is the most countercultural thing that you could be doing today. We are saying no to certain things that we could be doing with our lives. We could all be in, in the bed just, just sleeping it up. We could be out there doing something, anything else to try to get ahead. But we're here to worship. This is a testimony to the fact that we are indeed exiles on this earth. We're sojourners passing through, awaiting a better country. We are a a people who are called His possession. We were called out of darkness and into light that we may proclaim His excellencies. And the Lord is purifying us that we might walk in the good deeds that He prepared for us before the foundations of the world. This is not a social club. This is not a a cultural phenomenon. This is God's doing. This is supernatural. We are the sheep of his pasture. We are his bride. And because we are his, we belong to one another. These are your people. More than the travel ball team. More than the green and yellow or green and gold, however Pillow wants to say that. More than the, the red and the blue and the maroon and white. More than your sorority. More than your, your, your group at work. These are your people. We are one another's. We are a kingdom outpost in the middle of Babylon. And we owe everything to God. Why? Because two days after this exchange... Jesus was mocked and beaten. They took him before Pilate. And you know what they said about him in Luke 23? We'll we'll get to it, but we'll go ahead and touch on it now. They said, we found this man, Jesus. We found that he was misleading our nation, and he was forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. They lied about him 
because they couldn't figure out a way to trip him up. But Pilate found no guilt in him. He was beaten and mocked some more, and eventually he was hung upon the cross. And all of our sins, all of our sins were placed on him there. All of our pretending, all of our hypocrisy, all of our flattery, our slander, our malice, our envy, our evil words and their actions, all of it was charged to him, and he became a curse for us that we could be blessed. It was all charged to his account, and he drank the full cup of God's wrath that was due us, and he gave up his spirit. This one, this Jesus that took on flesh and came down as a man, always doing what pleased the Father and submitting to his earthly parents and submitting to civil authorities that hated him. This one, he rose from the grave And he's now in heaven at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And all authority in heaven on earth has been given unto him. And he has been given the name that is above every name. And he is with you. And he will never leave you nor forsake you. This Jesus from his throne in heaven tells us to render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. And to render unto God God what is his. Because he has given everything for us. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for your word. Um, so uh, there's so many things that we could think about and talk about here. Um, the most important thing, the most important person to speak of is, is, is Christ. And so just please help us to see him, a, a, a more beautiful and glorious picture of him as he's presented in the scriptures and help us to walk out this life. Help us to do what you've called us to do. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hi, Richard Owens here. I just wanted to take a second to say thank you for listening to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church. Our prayer is that the Lord would use this message to encourage you in the gospel and that you would find Jesus to be more beautiful than you ever, ever imagined. If you'd like to find out more about who Jesus is or more about our church, I invite you to visit our website at wpcgreenwood.org. God bless.